Welcome to the Trap One Podcast. I'm Mark, and joining me today are Eric and Laura Javog. Welcome to the podcast, both. Hello. Thank you. Hi. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, so we're going to talk today about the Doctor Who novel, The Wonderful Doctor of Oz, by Jacqueline Rayner. Um, if you, if any listeners haven't read the book yet, please be aware we'll be discussing the whole book in great detail, so, so there will be spoilers. Uh, so you're both uh, Doctor Who fans and wonderful Wizard of Oz fans. Um, I understand you bought two copies of the book, one for each collection. Yeah, I did. As soon as I saw this book was coming out, I said, I think I need to buy two copies. Um, this opportunity came up. I said, okay, I'm getting two <laughs> copies. So, yep. yep. I'm, I'm less of an Oz fan than he is. I kind of dragged her into it, actually. But, you both Doctor Who fans. but we're both Doctor Who fans. We met because of Doctor Who. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, both yeah. local fans, and then we met, and we started hanging out, and we started realizing, hey, wait, we like each other. So, went from there. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. That's great. And you got dragged into Wizard of Oz from there, Laura. Yes, I almost didn't marry him because I hated the movie so much. <laughs> uh, Flying Monkey scared me so much when I was a kid. And I was like, nope, I don't want to marry someone who likes that movie. And he said, read the book. So I read the book, and oh, okay, yeah, fine, I'll marry you. <laughs> that's brilliant I, I haven't read the book um, and I watched the movie for the first time in like decades last night so I'm kind of in the situation that the doctor and her friends are in in the book where they've got sort of um, they a vague memory yeah and they've got vague, they vaguely know what happens in the movie so um, they're kind of in the dark which I guess helps the uh, helps the story to to work because they don't know exactly what's going to happen next and, and what they're going to encounter in Oz um, but I think you were saying Eric um, when we were um, sort of conversing that it is closer to the book than the movie anyway well let's just say it's because of the nature of the book yeah it really helped I mean the book is a better resource for getting the background for this than the movie. Uh, the movie, basically, they show up at... Well, they think they're going to show up... Okay, well, the spoilers are coming here, folks, so just be prepared. The um, They think they're showing up for the premiere of the movie at Groman's Chinese Theater in Hollywood in 1939, and they show up, and there's nothing going on. So they go, what, what's going on? So they And no one has heard of The Wizard of Oz. And, of course, in 1939, it was already a well-known book. It was a well-known... It had been a an early hit on Broadway at the turn of the century. So it was not like it was totally unknown. So for anyone here to say, you know, they're walking around Hollywood, they're talking to people, they're asking, have you, what, have you heard of the wizard of Oz? They're going, what the, what never heard of it. Something's up. So this is definitely where, a strange thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is where things start happening and they start investigating what's going on. So I'm not sure what, you know, how much more do we want to delve into that right now? Okay, I'll go ahead. Yeah, it turns out, <laughs> turns out the book was never written for very good reason. And I'm going to, I'm going to give Jack Rayner props here because she did her research. She got the background on L. Frank Baum, the writer of The Wizard of Oz and the whole Oz series perfectly right i did not see anything you know out of place it was just well all the background on bomb and the book and everything was just spot on so uh if you're wondering you know is this true yes it is it's fine so 
That's great, yeah, because for me, uh, not knowing much about it, I, I feel like I learned a lot about Song Baum. I didn't know that it was a series of 14 novels about Oz. I think I just assumed that there was just the one, and that was what the movie was based on. But the book really, I think, tries to point towards seeking them out. Um, it's, it's slightly jumping towards the end of the book, but Yaz reads the second one, and, mm-hmm. and she says something like, oh, the ending of that book... Uh, must have been oh, inspired yeah. by these events, but she doesn't tell you what it is. So, uh, right. They're trying to get really... Oh, any, any Oz fan knows exactly what she's talking about. Oh, yeah. It's it's a very big thing in Oz fandom. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah. But it do, it, and, like, it, like, it does tie in very nicely with what happens in this book, so... Um, or this book ties in very nicely with what happens in Oz. I mean, yeah. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you want us to spoil the end of the second book or do you want to go read it yourself um i, I i've got such a, a large reading pile it'll be ages before i get to it um and I, i'll probably forget by then okay well it, dorothy is is the main character of the the first book the main character of the second book is a uh, fellow named tip he's a little boy named tip yeah little boy named tip and at the end of the story, it's revealed that Tip is actually Ozma, a princess of Oz. Disguised as a boy. Right. Disguised as a boy. Yeah. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah, I see where, yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, that ties in really nicely then, yeah. Well, Ozma has become, a you know, last definitely in the last couple of decades, Ozma has become a kind of a heroine within the trans community. Because she was a right. boy and then she's a girl, <laughs> She's she's one of the first trans characters, really. Wow, and that's that's a book from like the early twentieth century. That's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, nineteen oh four. Nineteen oh four. Wow, that's brilliant. I, I yeah, I did I didn't know any of that. Um, but yeah, it's um, it it does I think definitely encourage the reader to um, to to go and sort of seek out some of these through through the sort of window of, of getting Doctor Who fans in. Um, because uh, the other the sort of joy, one of the joys of this book is uh, mapping things from, see, fifty odd years of Doctor Who into, <laughs> into the framework of the Wizard of Oz. So um, I just love all those plums that she kept throwing in there. I'm going, yeah, I remember that. I, wasn't there a mention of the Chumleys at one point, if I remember right? Yes. Yes. Cybermats, yeah. Chumleys, Ogrons. Flying Ogrens. Yeah. <laughs> and K9, which that immediately won me over, because uh, they need a Toto. Um, and it's revealed that the Doctor had started building another K9 yeah. after, Wouldn't presumably after he left the K9. Yeah. yeah, so that, um, oh yeah, so yeah, that, this must be one that was built between school reunion and now. Right. So either yeah. other, the doctor started built. I hadn't even thought about that. I was thinking it was after, it would be the one that he dropped off for Sarah Jane. That's the Mark three, isn't it? So right. I was thinking after that, but he has built another one then because he replaced Sarah Jane's in school reunion. Yeah. <laughs> I can just see the doctor probably has, you know, at some, you know, maybe two or three canines in various stages of being built in some <laughs> workshop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a really nice image, isn't it? Especially, I think the Thirteenth Doctor, because you've got that um, that quite sort of engineering vibe um, when she yes. builds yes. a screwdriver and she's got the, the sort of goggles on and she's uh, she's building a sonic screwdriver. And then in um, 
when Sue's 12 starts and she's got the um, the, uh, the the TARDIS up on the, um, the, the the kind of the lift in the in the mechanics garage and she's oh. sort of doing some work underneath it. Um, and as you said, the flying monkeys are replaced by Ogrons, which oh, yeah. get dubbed. There's some really nice puns and uh, and things like that, isn't it? So yeah, I, I gotta admit though, I mean, a little more, little more spoilers, folks. Uh, we of course we have one of the scarecrows from Human Nature shows up. We have a Cyberman shows up in place of the Tin Man. I was a little disappointed that they didn't use a Theral for the Cowardly Lion. <laughs> yes, that, I mean that would have just been. Cherry on the cake there, but after we'd had the the Cyberman and the Scarecrows, I thought, what for Lion? It's going to either be the Tharils or the um, are they called the Leonians from the, um, the the woman who lived? Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. That might actually that might have been better. They didn't really make a lot of impact, did they? There was. Um, there was it with Leandro, I think, who was the, who was the one uh, kind of example of um, of his species there. Yeah. Um, but he's not one that you you don't see a lot of image of your imagery of him around yeah. on on Twitter or um, uh, in the magazine or anything. Uh, but yeah, that's um, I thought there was there's two options. But let's face it, the Therals aren't exactly villains either, so it didn't quite fit the vibe. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the um. But the, using the stone lions in front of Groman's Chinese theater made me think, huh, could this be harkening back to the movie of The Wiz where the lion bursts out from one of the stone lions in front of the New York Public Library? I'm thinking, you know, it's all good. Connections, cross-connections. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I know that movie. Is that, is that Wizard of Oz? Well, okay, ah, so yes. 1978, it was a... Okay, so in the mid-'70s, big Broadway show... It's a black version of The Wizard of Oz. It's African-American um, cast, crew, with you know all new songs and everything. And then they made the movie in 1978. Um, the play is pretty good. The movie, I think, didn't quite hit the mark as well. But what they did is they basically they cast New York City as Oz. They, um, you know, they, things happen around various landmarks. They meet the Tin Woodman at the um at the cyclone on Coney Island, the roller coaster. And they and then so there's Dorothy Scarecrow Tin Man. They're marching in front of the public library and they look at one of the big lion statues in front of the library and the Tin Man says, Hey, I think that guy's eyeing me and it turns out it is the lion he bursts out. So but like I said So it did it did seem to call back in this book to that scene in the Wiz. Because it was a statue right. comes to life. So I don't know if that was, you know, if that was she reaching for a source of lions. If she was, if she remembered that and did that, I was like, don't know if it was intentional, but that's what it felt like. Yeah, that's great. It sounds like there's a lot of, sort of deep cuts for, um, for for Rose fans as well. Then um, there are, oh, yeah. yeah. There's yeah, probably quite a lot that um, that's gone over my head. <laughs> Um, when reading it. Um, and you mentioned the Chumblies as well. I think they're in place of the Munchkins. Yes. It's like, yeah, that's, um, yeah, I think within the first few pages when we had Chumblies and K9, I thought, this, uh, yeah, this is a book I'm going to really, really enjoy. 
I, I wasn't expecting the uh, queen of the field mice to be what she was, though. Cybermats. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. I remember now. Yeah, it's, there's such a rich um, history of Doctor Who that you can, you can find something that can, uh, can, can replace uh, almost anything, can't you? No kidding. <laughs> Um, but the uh, the cover slightly gives away. Um. Slightly. <laughs> that is my one complaint about this book is they should they should have done anything else on the cover but put that character. So it's a gorgeous cover. Gorgeous Don't get cover. us wrong. No, yeah. it's a gorgeous cover. We love it, but it's a massive spoiler. It isn't it? So um, I'm sure everyone's seen the cover. It's and, and I, I'm right in saying this. This looks like a homage to Wicked, with the um, a little bit. I think it is. Yeah, it's definitely an homage to that iconic Wicked poster, in my opinion. So the Wicked I have seen. I've seen that in the um, in London in the West End. Uh, I saw that a few wow. years. I am jealous. <laughs> I would love to see it in the West End myself sometime. But... <laughs> It was very good. Or Broadway, really, really, really. We've only seen it twice in Seattle, so <laughs> very good. So yeah, so we've got Missy with the uh, with the enormous witch's hat uh, because the there's various things um, that make the Doctor. She, I think she suspects Missy to begin with, but then she thinks the Rani because we've got the um, and I, I hadn't remembered this from the movie, but you've got the the talking trees um, at one point in the movie. Uh, so it's um, cool. Uh, So it's a good chance to bring the the tree mines from time and the Rani, uh, which obviously, uh, turn people into trees. trees. Uh, so we've got those. Um, but I think that is quite a meta sort of thing as well, that, um, ever since Dr. Who came back, there have been rumors and theories, every single series that could be the Rani or the Rani's coming back and, and for the doctor to be involved in that as well, <laughs> to think it's the Rani, the Rani's behind it. Um, it felt like a really meta, meta touch. This book is meta upon meta. Oh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> there's, there's just so much. It's, it's got so many layers. Mm-hmm. I think If you're a Doctor Who fan, there's all these kisses to the show that you're just going to go, you know, squee over. If you're a Wizard of Oz fan, it's more, it's, primarily just to the the single book not the series but um there's i mean there's enough there and if you're you know if you know anything about the background of l frank Baum and you're reading it you go oh right hey they got that right oh hey that's cool so i think i mean this is definitely aimed for doctor who fans let's face it but oz fans will like it as well i i think oh yes and i, I, I think it's yeah. It's really awesome to be a fan of both and to, because it's just – it makes it so much deeper. I mean it's just – yeah. And I know <laughs> it's so, huge. And I know so many Oz fans who are also Doctor Who fans. So um, not so much Doctor Who fans who are Oz fans, but <laughs> – Oz is a very niche fandom. We'll just say that. We do have some crossover though. Oh, yeah. Uh, by the way – if I can add here, um, the next book I read after this one I, uh, was, uh, I was trying to, it was a Big Bang Generation by Gary Russell, in the uh, with the Twelfth Doctor, and in like the first few pages he's reading The Hungry Tiger of Oz, 
which is which is another way way deep in the series. It's not even by Baum; it's by his successor, Ruth Plumley Thompson. So I'm going okay. That that how what a wild coincidence is that? <laughs> so and I and I know Gary, and I know he's an Oz fan. So I you know I know he legit, you know, probably has read the book himself or was reading it at the time or something. So, uh, but it's just. I'm going, oh man. And well then and then the next book I read after that, Sophie Aldred's at Childhood End. Again in the first few pages there's a Wizard of Oz illusion because let's face it, Ace is Dorothy. So, so Yeah, I was gonna say that it's probably um Doctor Who's closest uh yeah, sort of homage, isn't it, before that is is having Ace is Dorothy and she gets swept away in the Time, time storm and uh, and deposited yeah. uh, somewhere else yeah just not in oz <laughs> well in okay. fact the yeah. um interesting thing about ace you know the they get they originally gave her the name of dorothy back in 87 because of course they equated her with dorothy and the wizard of oz and then they said maybe we'll give her the same last name dorothy had in the movie because they forgot well eventually down the road they came up they gave her mcshane as a last name and then someone finally figured out that Dorothy's last name is Gale. So someone said, hey, wait a minute. Let's just make that Ace's middle name. So her full name now, I guess, officially is Dorothy Gale McShane. Right. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like another, just I saying about all the meta things, um, it just popped into my head there. When they, when they arrive at the Emerald City in the book and they meet... Well, there's just like a huge number of Doctor Who monsters who are all green. Uh, and the Doctor says uh, green is the colour of monsters, which is a lovely little homage to Terrence Dix, isn't it? Because that was uh, something Terry, that he yeah. was fond of saying that green is the colour of monsters. I loved all the emerald monsters. That was yeah. There's a lot when you, when you start to read that section, isn't there? I um, sort of jotted down that um, you've got the Slitheen, the Rutans, the Pteroleptals, the Sea Devils, the Monoids. Um, crawl is mentioned as well, Fenderly, and it's uh, <laughs> it's like um, the uh, the end of city. How crawl in the Emerald City? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Reminding me the, the end of series five when, uh, unless of course the Emerald City is bigger on the yeah. <laughs> it's it's crawl when he was a baby. <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of uh, you know the end of series five when the uh, when all the monsters team up uh, to try and put the Doctor into the Pandorica. Um, it's all reminding me of that because I think at the time there's an interview with Stephen Moffat and because he he basically does away with that alliance in the in the second half um, and gives them completely different. And he says, well, you know what would happen after that? They would all just start fighting between themselves, which is uh, which is what the Doctor gets them to do, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, it would be very budget stretching, I think, for the TV series to have um, Kroll fighting um, uh, the, the huge crinoid creature. And <laughs> I don't know. You could do it in computers now, I guess. Yeah, true. <laughs> but I was, one thing I was thinking though is that you know the, the nice thing about the books is you can you can do that sort of thing because you don't have budget budget restrictions. But not only that, um, I mean, we have Missy in this book with with. Not her doctor, and for that matter, the doctor with not her master. But you can do it. You don't have to worry about actor availability. You can just. I I remember uh, back in the nineties, one of the the uh, I think it was one of the BBC novels has the eighth doctor and Roger Delgado's master, which was 
you know, you could do that. You don't have to worry about meeting all in the same order like they do on television just by necessity of actor availability and everything. So, I would, you know, I'd love to see the books do more with that. Mix, you know, mix things up. Yeah, definitely. And, and they did that with the Doctor Who magazine comic strip. Uh, they had the Delgado master with the 12th Doctor, didn't they? Which was, um, which was a really nice story. I, something we're getting a lot of with Big Finish now as well, of, um, uh, of doctors and companions meeting and, uh, and, and various masters uh, popping up as well, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's nice to sort of cross-seed the, uh, the different eras like that. And a character we haven't mentioned yet is Theodore, who uh, they meet in, in Hollywood right at the start of the book. Um, he's quite mysterious to begin with uh, and uh, sort of sneaks aboard the TARDIS and, and ends up getting taken to Oz with them. Uh, so it seems like he's being set up as a bad guy at first because um, it, it, it's sort of clear maybe he's got a bit of a secret. There's some reason why he's followed them. Um, and then really becomes the de facto companion because... The actual companion. Oh, because of what happens to the, the other companions, yes. Um, yeah, incapacitated in various ways. Um, yeah. the, the sort of is the reverse. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Can I just add, by the it way, was... when, when I'm reading I'm thinking, okay, Theodore, Theodore, okay. This, is this a historical figure, one of these <laughs> meetings with, uh, oh, okay, Theodore, 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 Theodore Geisel, Dr. Seuss. Maybe it's Dr. Seuss before he becomes Dr. Seuss. And then, of course, I run to Wikipedia and look it up and, no, in 1939, no. Dr. Seuss had already published his first book or two. It's like, okay, no. And then later on, there. they actually mentioned Dr. Seuss at, at one point. So yeah, couldn't have been him. No, I was. Uh, it took me a little while to figure out what Theodore was all about. But once I did, I was going, oh, I know what this is going <laughs> to. And I, I think I figured it out earlier than Eric did. I think you did, too. I didn't re- – I. I, let's put it this way. I think it was – I finally cottoned on when it was revealed just when Theodore's final fate came around. So, Well, I was, I was already thinking of Theodore as Ozma fairly early on. Okay. But uh, as it turned out, not Ozma, but same fate. Yeah. yeah. I should have seen it because in Oz the Great and Powerful, the Disney movie back in good grief almost a decade now, uh, Mila Kunis's character was named Theodora because they wanted to have that echo of Dorothea. So, um, I don't think I've seen that. I was kicking myself when um, when it was revealed at the end that it is the it's the syllables of Dorothy backwards is three Theodore. Exactly. Um, I was absolutely. I was like, oh, how did I not that? Um, it's so cleverly done, hidden in plain sight, and then it's only revealed. It's, it reminded me of, uh, you mentioned Gary Russell. There's, I think it's one of his missing adventures. And um, I can't remember, is it Mandragora or, no, I actually think it might be Nestine. And there's a, there's a company, and it's a, is it an anagram of Nestine? It's, it's few since I read it. I think it's an anagram of Nestine, and it's right there throughout the book. <laughs> and then you realize that there are autons are behind it, and it just clicks into place. Uh, and this name's been there. It's, it, I, uh, I haven't read them since they came out, so most of them I haven't yeah, read since uh, you know, it's kind of 15, 20 years. Um, it, but something, maybe I'm thinking of um, Mandragora. It's one of the two anyway. It's either Nestine or Mandragora. The name yeah. is there throughout the book as the name of this company. And then 
realize who's behind it and it just clicks it. It's an anagram. Um, I, I really like that sort of thing where it's there for you to see, but you just need the, the slight just change in perspective and then it clicks into place and you go, oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Considering how many times the master has pulled that kind of stunt, you would think it's like, okay, the doctor comes across this new company, this new person, whatever, should immediately start it- rearranging the <laughs> letters. Okay, who is this? <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't pick up on the Dorothy part, but I did pick up on on what his secret was. Yeah, I think there's a couple of there's a couple of um, places where you start to you start to realize that, um, and because uh, well, his backstory is a little bit similar to Dorothy as well, isn't it? Having sort of grown up on a farm, mm-hmm. and he's uh, although it's much worse what happens to his dog. The um, you know this, uh, yeah. yeah, the dog isn't very well treated and, and that type of thing. But yeah, then the um, the, the hints about him being transgender sort of um, come in and. Probably most sharply comes into focus, I think, in the scene where the Doctor and Missy meet, um, which is just yes. brilliant. So you like to uh, see, you'd love, love to see that on screen, um, is to see those two actors facing off against each other. Um, we've got it in the book, with a special guest reading from Alia Torrey, um, so we'll hear that now. Okay. Your face! (laughs) Missy was clutching her stomach and letting out hoots of exaggerated laughter and talking of your face. Well, who's a bit of a copycat then? She opened her eyes wide and tipped her head to one side as she pointed at the doctor. You are... The doctor's mouth was still hanging open. With some effort, she pulled herself together, but it was easy to tell this revelation had shaken her. It can't be you. It's not possible. An exaggerated eye roll from Missy. Don't you know you have to believe six impossible things before breakfast? Oh no, my mistake. Wrong book. Don't get in a tizzy about it. I wasn't expecting you either. I thought I was getting my old friend, Mr Grumpy Trousers. Not some new little Miss Mary Bridges. I was all of a flutter when you turned up on my telly. She whipped a silk covering off what turned out to be a huge crystal ball with two metal rods protruding from the top in a V-shape like rabbit ears and pressed a button on a small black box. Fuzzy static inside the crystal slowly clarified into an image of Graham trying to balance a green cup and saucer on his head. Another press changed it into a picture of Yaz cowering in a corner, and one more press brought up an image of Ryan kicking an emerald green puppy. A final press, and the image became themselves. A view from above of them gazing into the crystal ball, looking at themselves in the image, looking at themselves in the image. Oh, I love a good bit of recursion, said Missy. She sighed dramatically. Reminds me of some fun we used to have together back in the bad old days. The testosterone time, if you will. At least that's far behind us now. All that leaving the toilet seat up and getting paid more money for doing the same job. What a nightmare. 
The doctor didn't say anything, and Missy gave a huge sigh. Oh, no. Please don't tell me I go back to, you know, again. She put her finger in her mouth and made a retching sound. Not a stinky boy. I might give myself cooties. You know, I can't tell you, the doctor said. Can't or won't. She didn't give the doctor a chance to answer. Doesn't matter. We know who sets the fashion and who falls over trying to keep up. Don't we, kiddies? You really think who I am now is anything to do with what you became? Oh, you're delusional. Oh, you tell yourself that if it makes you feel better, hun. Missy leaned forward and whispered, I know the truth. Theodore glanced from one woman to the other. This strange lady's pointed witch's hat made her appear taller than the doctor at first glance, but she was actually several inches shorter, although no one could ever call her small. She was bursting with so much personality, it pretty much filled the room. She was wearing something akin to an old-fashioned lady's riding habit in green velvet and a black high-necked blouse fastened at the neck with a cameo brooch. There was a circlet of fruit around the brim of the pointed hat, maybe crab apples. But although her appearance was slightly odd, it was what she was saying that had really grabbed Theodore. He remembered what he'd overheard Graham say back in Hollywood. Hey, Doc, back when you were a block... He wondered so many times if he'd been mistaken, although the doctor had said odd things once or twice, like how she used to be taller or shorter or scruffier, and there'd been Yaz's comment about a beard. But while this woman wasn't exactly laying it out in words of one syllable, her meaning seemed quite clear. The doctor had been a man, Missy had been a man, but they had changed. But that wasn't possible. So thank you very much to Alia for that fantastic reading. Oh yeah, that was terrific. Uh, you can find her on Twitter, at the Ouija Doctor. That's great. <laughs> she uh, is that's great. absolutely brilliant. Um, so I will put a link to where you can find her work. Um, she's also done some uh, some fan audios, like the Twelfth Doctor audios and things like that. So I should definitely seek those out. So yeah, I, I just um, just a brilliant scene because uh, you've uh, you, well, we know that Missy's there, as you say, from the cover. Even though there's um, there's some attempt in the text to, to direct you towards the Rani, um, yeah. and uh, yeah, you would just love uh, Missy and the Doctor, and I think it's perfectly captured how they would react to each other as well. Uh, oh yes, oh, yeah. the playfulness of Missy and um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a wonderful scene. I do like the way Theodore's reacting to the whole thing. Like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> just, that's just so. Yes, that's what what he would have thought, and 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 we, and we learn that that's the reason why he followed them into the TARDIS in the first place. First place, uh, yeah, because he'd heard Graham. Um, refer to the doctor um, formerly being a man as well so that's what sort of piqued his curiosity to follow him so I think because he, when he first arrives in the Titus and he realizes he's, been, he's followed him and he's standing in the shadows that was made me think there was something sinister about him or that maybe he was in some way behind the um, their 
the, the loss of the yeah the travel the book never being written yeah yeah uh, and, and traveling to Oz and uh, and all that type of thing so uh, yeah it was um, but I think once. Well, kind of a, another spoiler, but you know, if you've come this far, then hopefully you've read the book. We uh, learn that they're in the land of fiction from the mind robber. Where else um, could it be? Come on, I should have seen it. <laughs> uh, and, and once we realise, and knowing the kind of the rules of the land of fiction, that that there has to be somebody there in charge of it, and um, Frank Baum's there, and we know that he's he he does have a destiny in the real world, and he's. Um, that he needs to get out of Oz and that Theodore doesn't really enjoy his life in, in sort of, uh, in America in those times. And he's a voracious reader and he loves stories. Um, you sort of see where his storyline's going at that point, that he's going to become the new, uh, uh, the new sort of keeper of, of the land of fiction, don't you? Now let, let's, let's, let's call the spade a spade. He's going to be the master of the land of fiction. <laughs> <laughs> And K nine even calls him master. So, of course, he calls everyone master. Yeah. <laughs> That's because uh, uh, you know that K nine can't continue to travel with the doctor as much as I wanted him to uh, <laughs> remain with the with the farm there. So that was um, that was a nice way to uh, to, to give K nine. I was hoping that nothing bad would happen to him and that <laughs> he couldn't carry on. Um, but uh, yeah, thankfully, uh, he gets redesignated. Two two instead of two two. two. Well, uh, <laughs> this little dog too. Yeah. So, uh, did you did you guess that Frank Baum would be the Wizard of Oz? Because I was thinking uh, we know that Missy is going to be uh, the Wicked Witch. I was thinking who is going to be the Wizard, um, and I didn't I didn't spot that until uh, until it was revealed. I knew that Baum would be involved somehow, but I didn't put him into that spot no yeah it's, it's very kind of neatly done i wasn't even thinking along those lines i wasn't thinking wait who's going to be the wizard i was just thinking what's going to happen next let me let me turn the page and see what happens next <laughs> now i was i i knew that bomb had to be involved because history had been changed so bomb had to be somewhere yeah but beyond that nah didn't know didn't guess. Should have guessed in retrospect, but didn't. But it is brilliant making bombs for the land of fiction. So the, the the theme park idea was it was it was something he probably just mentioned in passing in an interview once. I don't think he ever had any serious plans for doing anything like that. I mean, he was enough of a storyteller and raconteur. He may have just it, he may have just made it up off the top of his head right at that moment. Somehow, though, that's one of those things that, not necessarily among hardcore Oz fans, but more in the general public, this has latched on and people have said, oh, that would have been so cool, he should have done it, and all that stuff. And there were, It was never a serious thing for a theme park. Which, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think if he set his mind to it, he, he might have done it, and then gone bankrupt, because that's the kind of, that's a lot of the stuff that happened in his life. But, um, that was his luck, yes. Yeah. But here's, but I was, you know, I was going to say earlier that making Bomb the master of the land of fiction is a brilliant idea because you know he's most well known for Oz today. But back when he was writing, I mean, he wrote you know lots of other books for kids, but then he also wrote you know like about a dozen different series 
like, you know, these, just these pot boiler, turn them out once a year books for like teenagers under pen names for a long time there in the 1910s. So he, um, he wrote, like he wrote a series about three, three cousins who had adventures with their rich uncle called Aunt Jane's nieces under the name Edith Van Dyne. He wrote, um, some you know really sweet saccharine books for really little kids under Laura Bancroft. He wrote adventure books for boys under the name Captain Hugh Fitzgerald. I mean, there's he was a very prolific <laughs> writer. And you look at just what's available today, you think, oh, Oz, some of his other related fantasies. That's only about maybe a third of what he wrote back in the day. So he had the capacity to come up with lots of ideas and churn them out which would be perfect for the, the master of the land of fiction. Right. No, I didn't know any of that. That's, um, that's really interesting. The, cause the theme park thing, I was sort of wondering was Disneyland already around by then? I don't, I wasn't really sure when that Disneyland came along in 1955, had, uh, I think long no. after mom was dead. So uh, long yeah. after the movie came out. Right. Yeah, so in terms of his life, so Laura, then you, you mentioned about him uh, not being very lucky because um, it, the doctor sort of says, oh, I, I don't know what happens to him or, um, you know, much about his much about his life. And she said she kind of wants to leave it that way so that he's always alive to her. Um, but I thought that maybe suggested that um, he hadn't had a particularly happy life or maybe... Uh, Let's put it this way: Once he found success with Oz, he he did pretty good. He was, you know, he finally he was finally making some money. He was able to support his family. Um, he, you know, we, we brought up Walt Disney earlier. He was kind of he could have been a proto Walt Disney. Just the theme park thing that might have happened, but he had, you know, he had ideas for plays and big extravaganzas. And of course, this is, you know, movies were just starting to happen. Um, he made some early silent movie versions of the Oz books. Um, and wow. there was one production before that he, he did this big, is a big multimedia production with, you know, slides and hand colored movies and an orchestra and the actors doing the voices behind the scenes and stuff. And it traveled from city to city and it was, and, you know, basically it was kind of sla- publicity slash introducing Oz and some of his other books to, you know, a broader audience. Um, it it was popular; people enjoyed it, but it was so expensive to make and put on and cart around the country that he had to declare bankruptcy a few years later. And he actually lost because of that. He lost the rights to the Wizard of Oz for a long time to 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 his creditors, so they could you know get recoup their costs. Um, which I think that's a big factor why he he actually stopped writing the Oz books for a while. His other books weren't selling as well. So that's one reason he probably went back to Oz and says, okay, I need money. And I know Oz is going to sell. But for the most part, he had, right. you know, he had a, yeah, for the last 20 years of his life while he was an author, he, no, he had a very nice life. He had, you know, he could afford, you know, to spend summers in California. He and Maude went on a big, trip his wife is mod where they want a big trip to egypt and europe in like 1906 um yeah you know he raised four successful sons um he, he did he 
I, overall, his, you know, once the Wizard of Oz hit it big, he had a very good life. But he did have a, a habit early on of overextending himself and having financial difficulties. Right. Um, newspaper business. What what were the other ones that he? Uh, let's see the variety store out on the Dakota Prairie. Variety store, right? Um, the well, he started you know early on when he met Maude, he was an actor, and never quite, mm-hmm. you know, never quite made it big. Um, he always enjoyed the theater. Um, he was really happy when, the, I mean, the, when the book was a big success, almost immediately people approached him and said, hey, let's make this a big Broadway musical. And it actually became, it became a big hit in 1903. It opened on Broadway. It had you know, been in Chicago earlier. And that, he was just as well known for that for a long time as for the books. And it was, I think he made may have made more money off the play initially than the book than the book. And not only that, that was what really made Oz a well-known entity in American pop culture. The the book was successful, but I mean it's like, you know, you you have a successful book these days, great, but and you know people might know about, but you make it into a movie or a big mid then people know about it. Then people are really going to know about it. Well, they didn't have movies, they didn't have TV back then, but they did have plays. So, so is that is that kind of thing? So was the movie then based on the Broadway show? Was that the same songs and no, no, okay. no, no, they they Not start from scratch. Let, let, me, let me put it this way: the Broadway show was. A big extravagant musical extravaganza. They just dropped in songs whenever they, they changed songs whenever they felt like it. The the lion had a small part and had and w- didn't talk. There was no wicked witch. Um, there were all kind of these other characters that were thrown in. They had absolutely not, they weren't in the book. They weren't you know. So when they made, uh, there were critics when MGM was making the movie. Who said, well, why don't you get Fred Stone, who's the original Scarecrow in the play, to play the Scarecrow? Well, Fred Stone was in Hollywood then, but he was 63. Not real inclined to (laughs) do that physical a part again. Um, Why don't you use the old song? Well, let's face it. If they had used the old songs, you know, would we have Over the Rainbow? No, we wouldn't. Come on. They made a smart decision there, I think, to completely start from scratch. But... Um, there were still people in Hollywood who knew the show. I mean, it'd been, uh, you know, the professional tours had been, you know, at last end about 20 years earlier, but it was still known and people wanted, you know, people were excited because they were knew the play just as much as they knew the book. Which drives home just how weird it was for the, the TARDIS crew to, run into people that had never heard of Oz. Yeah, of course. Because it was known. It was very well known, even then. And was, was Bound still around when the movie came out? No, he died in 1919. Was... The movie came out in 1939. But Maude was there. She was, a, you know, she was a special guest. I mean, everyone was like really excited that she was there. If you ever see the TV movie about Bomb's life called The Dreamer of Oz, it opens with the premiere of the MGM movie. And this little old lady comes out and everyone's going, who's that? Who's that? That's not what happened at all. 
she and well, and Fred Stone was there too. They were just as much as celebrated as all the actors from the movie who were there. And one of my, I gotta say, one of my all-time favorite publicity photos from the movie is Judy Garland and Maud Baum sitting next to each other reading the first edition of The Wizard of Oz. It's just a charming picture. So that's lovely. I need to look out for that um, that movie about his life as well. Then that's uh, that sounds great. It sounds like he was well ahead of. He was. I, Let's put it, he's been, a lot of people have compared him to Walt Disney. And I think if the, let's put, if, well, if he had more stable income, but not only that, if the, like the technology had advanced a little bit more, if, you know, he might have been just as successful making films as, as writing the books. And of course he had this idea for a, for an amusement park. I don't know how serious it was for him, but you know, it could have happened. And I guess a, a sort of more recent equivalent of the world would be like the Harry Potter books where the, the books were a phenomenon, the movies have been a phenomenon, there's, there's theme parks and all kinds of uh, spin-off and, and multimedia for that as well. There, there have been comparisons between Oz and Harry Potter. Oz, Oz had 14 books written by Baum, but then it, the series continued after Baum's death. There's, what, 40 official books? 40 official books published oh, wow. by the official Oz publishers. And of course now, you know, fans are writing their own books and there's all kinds of different, you know, it's like now it's, I, I, there's, I think there's dozens of Oz books coming out every year. That's really hard to keep up. But Well, and Eric has written one as well. Uh, let's he be had, honest. Co-written. Co-written. He, he and a co, co-author. Yes. Yep. Oh, brilliant. Oh, tell us about that. Uh, okay, well, one of the later books, TikTok of Oz, has a character named Queen Anne of Oogaboo. Oogaboo is this little tiny country, and Queen Anne is very ambitious, so she decides to go out and conquer the world. She does not do well on that. But uh, so my friend Carol and I, we got together and we thought, huh, you know, we should give her some more adventures. So she decides to go out, and there's some uh stuff in the beginning of the book about how her parents went missing so we thought great we've got an idea for a book here she's going out to look for her parents so she goes out and she looks for her parents and um i i won't say whether or not she succeeds but let's just say there's a happy (laughs) ending so but it was published by books of wonder in new york and it's now available from the royal public what was that one called queen anne in oz Queen Anne and Oz. I will. Um, I'll find a link to put in the show notes okay. for that as well. Yeah, uh, it's not, yeah. You can get it now on Lulu. But but what what we're saying though is that there's, like you said, dozens of new Oz books every year. But there's the the forty official in the canon. Right. Well, as much that as are accepted. Canon. Oz is a lot like Buster as much Who. as Oz. Like, has. Yeah. What kind, What is canon? Come on. Canon is what you make of it. I mean, there's a lot of Oz fans nowadays that their only exposure to Oz is through Wicked. And Wicked is their version of Oz, and that's okay. That's the way they think it. You know, it's like a lot of uh, Doctor Who fans are not familiar with the old series, the original. And mm-hmm. okay, that's their Doctor Who. I'll, that's, that's the way it works. But yeah, Oz, Oz has a lot of similarities in that way, that there's 
now there's this brand new thing that has changed everyone's perception of it. It's completely different, but it's still Oz. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That's great. Yeah, as I say, I, I had no idea that there was there was so many books. It, it it feels like something that they would look at making movies of them all. You know, in this sort of era of franchises and cinematic universes, so are they uh, would they adapt easily? Do you think? Uh, the, the the problem is if anyone who wants to make an Oz movie, it's going to be compared to the MGM movie, the classic nineteen thirty nine Judy Garland movie, and, and it's that is of course it's 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 crumbling that the that stranglehold is crumbling because now there's people because it's not shown on television every year on network television every year it's and just because you know the way we watch movies anymore there are now kids who don't know the wizard of oz as much or at all just because they haven't been exposed to it the way you know my generation. The way we were. Yeah. We, we, when I was growing up, The Wizard of Oz was generally, genuinely a event. Every year it was on the, on the network television. Every year, everyone in their, their families would sit down and watch it. Every year. It was just, right. it was one of those things. Oh, it's that time again. Let's watch Wizard of Oz together. And all the kids would run off and the flying monkeys came out and, you know. <laughs> That, that, that was me, that was even and, me one year, but yeah, yeah. So, so it was. It was for my generation. It was. It was absolutely an event. It was yeah. something that everybody knew. And now, like I said, there's a, a completely new generation that ha- they're, they're not familiar with the original movie, with the MGM movie, not the original movie. But um, they're not familiar with that. They they know Wicked. It's it changes. Yeah. I will say, Things change. Add, adding on to what Laura was just saying, my friend John Fricky is a big Wizard of Oz historian. He's done work. He's written books about it. He's you know, worked with TCM on some of their stuff. Um, he, he says, back in the 60s and 70s, kids growing up then, you had four big events every year. Your birthday, Halloween, whatever winter holidays you celebrate, Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever. And the Wizard of Oz is on television, and that is the case. That is exactly what happened. Yeah, it was. It was true. Yeah. yeah, and it started crumbling a little in the '80s when it came out on video, and you didn't have to wait for it to be on TV. And then it just, you know, the way movies became less of an event on television. Period. So, I mean, things have changed. Mm-hmm. So, but that, but because of that, now I think it's getting to the point. I mean, you know. 2013, Disney puts out Oz the Great and Powerful. It was the first successful Oz movie at the box office since the MGM movie. Because it wasn't, you know, reviewers were annoyed and upset that it was treading on The Wizard of Oz. But moviegoers, especially young moviegoers, they didn't care as much. They just said, oh, there's this cool new movie. Let's go see it. Not, how dare they do an Oz movie? Which is, what, yep. which is what happened in 1985 when Disney put out Return to Oz. So, you know, Siskel and Ebert. It was still too early. Yeah, Siskel and Ebert, two of the biggest, most well-known movie critics in this country, they said it was one of the worst movies of the year. Because, it was a great movie. Because it wasn't The Wizard of Oz. It wasn't a musical. Feruza Bog doesn't look like Judy Garland that much. That sort of thing. Um 
But if they had done that, then they would have said, well, how dare they try and remake the Wizard of Oz, make a sequel to the Wizard of Oz? I mean, you, back then, you couldn't win. But now we're getting to that point where if someone mm-hmm. wants to do, I mean, New Line Cinema's already talked, you know, they're saying, we're going to do a new version of the Wizard of Oz, a new movie. And people are jumping on them saying, how dare you? But then they're saying, no, no, we're going to be closer to the book. And so enough <laughs> people are saying, oh, oh, that's interesting. So you could do a whole mini series and it would be not be enough to cover all of Oz. Yeah. So yeah. I seriously, I think you could do a great Game of Thrones style um, mini series of The Wizard of Oz. Or, well, of Oz. Except it wouldn't be as uh, gross and uh, R rated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the way. Things are going now because there's a new Lord of the Rings series, isn't there? That's going to right. Amazon, and um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, is moving into TV shows as well. So, yeah, it does give you more screen time to explore the characters and storylines. And there is a lot of Oz to explore. I mean, 40 books in the main, plus all of the writing. I mean, we've had over 120 years of people writing about Oz. So, there's a lot there. There's a whole lot you could explore if you wanted to. And not only that, several of Baum's books, I don't know, probably didn't plan at the time, but retroactively in one of the Oz books, he said, by the way, all these other books I wrote, they're part of Oz too, because he had characters from right. the books show up in Oz later. And so he, he's, he, he's got this whole extended universe. He was one of the first writers to come up with a whole series of fantasy books, and he was one of the first writers to come up with a whole extended universe. Where all of his books tied in, they were all in the same plane of existence. So yeah, right. that's yeah, fascinating. I, I, I didn't know any of this. <laughs> so the the two movies, the um, the Return to Oz and the Great and the Powerful, are they based on any particular book, or are they just sort of taking elements? Return to Oz. He took the next two books, The Land of Oz and Ozma of Oz, and combined. This is a uh, Walter Murch was the director. And they combined it into one storyline. Dorothy comes back to Oz, has some of the same adventures as Tip has in the Land of Oz, some of the adventures she'd had in Ozma of Oz. Um, it, it's got a. I mean, it was. It was. Actually, I think it was a pretty good, but it was a very good version of Oz. It followed it. Well, I always say they took two of the best books in the series and made a kind of mediocre script, but the scenic design. The casting, everything is really Aussie. They did a really nice job with that. Um, if, if nothing else, yeah. the Gnome King. Yeah, you have to you have to see the Gnome King scenes. They're amazing. They use claymation for that. It was it was great. Very well done. Right now, Oz the Great and Powerful. That was actually a prequel, and it wasn't based on. I mean, they you know they took some elements from the books, but wasn't based on any storyline from the books. So they just kind of said, uh, how, how, what happened? how did the wizard get to Oz? What was he like? What, what happened when he got there? So it, that was more just completely thought up off the top of someone's head. But, again, I think they did a decent job of being Ozzy. Even if it wasn't that great a movie, it was a very Ozzy movie. And it was also visually br- brilliant as yes. well. That's one good thing about Oz. It, it lends itself to good visuals. Yes. There have been, you know, lots of other movies, though. I mean, like I, The Wiz, they made a movie, and it 
it has enough of a following, especially in the African American community. But there's a lot, you know, just fans of musicals. It has some great music in it. It has some great music. The one of the one of the best parts of the movie, if you ask me, is the Scarecrow, played by Mike Jackson. And this is before he became Michael Jackson. He was, you know, like his sticking his toe in an acting career, and he is brilliant. He is a terrific scarecrow. Um, I'm afraid that because it was a flop at the box office, that pretty much killed his acting career before he even got started. Uh, Diana Ross, who played Dorothy, she didn't make another movie after that either, and even though she'd been Oscar nominated before that, I think Lady Sings the Blues. So, I mean, for a long time, Oz was seen as not a good idea to make into a movie. Now, it's getting to that point that you can make an Oz movie again, and it won't necessarily be compared to the MGM movie. I'm looking forward to seeing the Wicked movie when they finally make one. Yes. Yeah, that's going to, I think that's going to open up a lot of people's eyes to what Oz can, Oz at the movies can. That's great. Uh, yeah, it'll be um, a renaissance <laughs> through, uh, uh, through uh, yeah, everybody, uh, yeah, getting getting to know it through that, and hopefully this book as well sort of plays um, plays a part in that. And uh, um, so yeah, I uh, made me rewatch the movie. Um, I definitely sort of look out for the books, mm-hmm. I think, and um, yeah, and all these other movies that I haven't seen. I think I've seen Return to Wars when I was really young. I kind of got vague memories of it um but probably but yeah when i was uh, when i was pretty young the, the fun thing about return to oz is it's that there's that whole era in the mid 80s of there you know there ain't movies that are aimed at kids but there's enough scary stuff in there that enough you know some of their parents are going uh, i don't know about this but things like <laughs> the never-ending story um gremlins trying to think what where's some other movies from that time um, probably can kind of throw the Princess Bride in there. Ghostbusters. Um, I, not Ghostbusters is more <laughs> definitely more of a comedy than a fantasy, and I mean aimed at a different audience, I think. But I suppose you, I suppose you can. The ghost in the library scared me when I was a kid, <laughs> and uh, when she's reading the book, and then she turns. Around, uh, <laughs> that that was traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> But there's a yeah there's a there's a lot several movies from that era including you know kind of Return to Oz gets lumped in there that I mean you know there were kids who genuinely got scared and they loved it so a little like Doctor Who come to think of it behind the sofa yep yeah so I was going to say that that's um, where it's uh, it, it's another kind of good marriage of, uh, of material with Doctor Who isn't it it's the uh, that sort of pleasurable being frightened, um, yeah, kind of being scared of it, but but always tuning in for the following week. <laughs> so the other thing I was going to mention was um, that um, I've seen Jacqueline Rayner's blog. Um, very sadly, she lost her mum while she was writing this book and the Camelot book. Uh, so to raise money for the hospice, um, you can order these really fantastic. Um, there's book plates and a bookmark. Um, I don't know if you guys can see. Ooh. I've got my... Uh, my book plate is uh, sticking in front yeah. of my co- copy of wow. the wonderful book. 
this is artwork by Paul Mars, um, who is um, like I love his writing and his art. Um, but these are these are great little things. They're signed by Jacqueline Rayner, personalised. Um, lovely, uh, lovely artwork by Paul Mars of uh, this one's the Thirteenth Doctor and Missy, uh, and there's one of the Doctor and Donna for the for the Camelot book as well. So it's um, yeah, it's a really really good cause. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to excellent. I saw those bookmarks. Yeah, I saw those. I wrote to Jack and asked about American shipping and haven't heard back. So maybe I'll just have him sent to a friend in Britain. And do I, well, I'm pretty sure I'll get to see next year. We hope. Yeah. Fingers yeah. crossed. Uh, so where can our listeners find you guys? Uh, um, you, on the internet? Are you on, I don't think you're on Twitter, are you? I'm not open, boy. But, um, <laughs> You know the main the main place you can find me is my website, which is the wonderful Wizard of Oz website. What a shocker! Uh, the address is the Wizard of Oz, all one word, no spaces, no caps. Dot info. The Wizard of Oz. Dot info. Yeah. Uh, if you you know if you if anything you want to know about the Wizard of Oz, I probably have something about it there. I it has. The, the centerpiece is I've created this big, huge, frequently asked questions list. And if there's something you don't know about Oz, well, you'll probably find it there. So, Excellent. I will put a link in the show notes to that as well. Thank you very, very much for uh, for taking the time to, to read the book and, and join me to speak about it. It's been, uh, it's been great. Oh, this has been wonderful. Thank you for having him. It's been great fun. Thank you. Thank you, and um, thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.